Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we start a two-week series on the issue of transgenderism. We have with us researcher and pastor Paul Dirks, and this week he helps define terms associated with this issue, his more personal story of getting involved in this issue, and then how the Bible and gospel speak into it as well. It shouldn't be surprising to us that a triune God who is both equal in his essence but also diverse in his three persons should create mankind as both male and female in whom there is a diversity and a basic equality. And so as we lean into who God has created us, we will discover more about who we are in relationship to God. Hey, it's Isaac here. Hope you're all well. Transgender community goes face-to-face with pastor opposing parts of Bill C-16. That's the headline of a news story from last year, and we have the privilege of chatting with that pastor. Uh, Talking about transgenderism and the general LGBTQ philosophy is vital. We really have to because it's so prevalent today, and our, our knowledge definitely can show our care. It's great to have with us Pastor Paul Dirks as he's a great source of information when it comes to gaining a greater understanding of this issue, especially in terms of our Christian faith. So here's part one of our conversation on transgenderism. With me today is Paul Dirks. Paul is a husband, he's a father, he's a local church pastor, and I found out yesterday that he's a musician as well, which is awesome. Um, Paul is also the founder of Woman Means Something, which we'll get into in a bit. Anyways, thanks for being here with me today, Paul. Yeah, it's my privilege. Thank you so much, Isaac. Um, before we we jump into this topic, and I do want to spend a lot of time on this topic, but I think it's important just for people that have never heard of you, you know, who are you? Maybe what's your brief kind of testimony? How'd you come to faith? Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I grew up in a Christian home where uh, God is glorified and His Word upheld. Attended uh, Fellowship Baptist churches. So that's a bit of my uh, my my theological heritage. And yeah, so I mean, that's I came to know Christ from a, from an early age. I remember uh, I had two kind of main pastors that served in our church for for quite some time in my uh, late childhood and uh, and adolescence. And I remember that uh, one of those men, Jack Purdy, was preaching on, I think it was a Sunday evening, and I, I went home at a, at a young age, I think probably around five years of age, uh, realizing there was something that uh, I was being called to that I hadn't yet I hadn't yet done. And so I remember uh, kneeling with my mother and, and asking uh, the Lord Jesus to have my life and uh, asking for the forgiveness of my sins. And, uh, you know, the Lord's been with me since then. And, and uh, you know, just I'm so thankful for the the rich heritage I have. I know there's a lot of people that don't have that same kind of benefit and upbringing. And, I, and I've always had uh, a bit of an idea from, from an early age that, uh, to, you know, to those who much is given, much is expected. And, um, and so it's a, it's a privilege. I never really saw it coming in the early years that uh, now I, I get to serve the body of Christ as uh, as a pastor, and that's uh, that's a that's a privilege as well, of course, as being the the leader of my little flock at home. I have five kids, and and uh, with my beautiful wife Rachel. That's so awesome. That's that that's really good. And you know, as I consider people listening to this across uh, the country and even around the world, um, you 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 pastor in this place called New Westminster. What's some of the uh, kind of cultural characteristics of this place? Yeah, it's actually a very liberal, progressive um, area. Uh, you probably have to, um, you'd have to probably go downtown Vancouver before you'd get a place that was any more progressive or liberal uh, than um, than this community I live in. Uh, and yet, at the same time, there's quite a 
church. I mean, there's a lot of churches in New Westminster. And so I'm, you know, it's, it's a great place to be. It, it's a very, there's a very strong community feel here. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'll, I'll get into a little bit, uh, a little bit later, maybe about how I get, got into talking about Soji related issues. But I know that at one point when I went to the, um, the school board meeting where, where there was a key decision being made, um, that the newspaper reported that this was a very kind of a new West sort of disagreement that happened because it was so, it was so pleasantly done <laughs> between, and not just myself, but, but those on the, uh, you know, on the opposite side of the argument as well. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now you, you and I met in person uh, at the Apologetics Canada conference uh, a couple months ago now. And, and it's interesting, you did this workshop on uh, transgenderism and you started this talk off by just defining terms. And I think that is the smartest thing to do. Um, so before we jump into this, wh- what are some of the most commonly used terms regarding this massive <laughs> discussion on, on transgenderism? What are the terms and what are their definitions? Yeah, so one of the terms that is used currently quite a bit and yet uh, is quite a sort of a recent term uh, is the term SOGI, which stands for sexual orientation uh, and then gender identity. So sexual orientation uh, refers to, you know, the LGB part of, um, you know, of that acronym LGBT. And then, you know, of course, it keeps going. And then whereas the GI stands for gender identity, which is the... Uh, the teaching that, uh, or the belief that somebody's gender, somebody's true or innate sense of gender, can be different than their biological sex. So, gender identity is uh, is almost synonymous with transgenderism. Although, in in a lot of places, transgenderism isn't used as a as a noun. It's used as um, transgender as as an adjective. So, then sexual orientation. Uh, and I actually don't like using the word orientation because it communicates that um, that sexual attraction is something that's immutable. Which uh, there's you know, recently there's been academic consensus around the fact that that is that is not the case. So you know, so for instance, you, a lesbian will be a you know biological female is attracted to, to other females. So, but when we move then to transgenderism, it's it's not related specifically. Or linked specifically to orientation or attraction, it's um, rather it's this idea that your gender or even how you would express that is different than one's one's sex. So a few other terms that kind of uh, crop up in the discussion. One of them is um, the word transsexual. It's a word that that's not used quite so much in today's kind of normal parlance, but it's a word that's actually used quite a bit in the medical literature because of the fact that it's uh, a much more explicit or specific term uh, than transgender. Transsexual refers to those who have had some kind of medical transition, either through cross-sex hormones or uh, or, or gender uh, reassignment surgery, uh, or sex reassignment surgery would probably, might be a better word, although it's, <laughs> I would say that somebody can't actually ever change their sex. Another, another interesting word that you don't hear as much anymore and yet is really an important part of the discussion is the word transvestite. Transvestites are those who uh, who cross dress uh, and are sometimes affiliated with a particular uh, paraphilia or, or sexual disorder called transvestic fetishism, and uh, it's almost always men who cross dress for sexual arousal. And the reason that I sometimes talk, end up talking a little bit about transvestites is because a lot of people aren't aware that under this big umbrella term of transgender, 
that only a, a relatively small proportion of transgender people are transsexuals and that by, you know, by and large, the, the majority of uh, transgender people are transvestites mm. or crossdressers. So, uh, you know, we could, we could get into some of the, some of the statistics on that, but, but the majority would be um, transvestites and not transsexuals. Um, another word that's used in, in related to this discussion is gender dysphoria. Uh, gender dysphoria is a um, is usually used as a clinical term, a, a diagnosis of uh, significant distress um, surrounding the fact that one's um, gender identity or conception of that is different than one's biological sex. Uh, so, for instance, in the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual. Um, of, uh, of of mental disorders, the latest version is five, and and so it has a, a diagnosis for gender dysphoria, and and uh, previously it used to be called gender identity disorder. And there's some interesting um, medical, but also perhaps political reasons that that diagnosis has changed. Um, and and then one last word that's probably key in this discussion is um, is the idea of intersex, where people have disorders of chromosomes or genitalia or reproductive organs that are not correctly sexually dimorphic. They, those characteristics don't fall uh, neatly into one of the two um, biological, you know, binaries that that the human race does fall into. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting that the word intersex, of course, means between the sexes. Um, and uh, and yet at times it's it's used to kind of point out that there is no sexual binary, which is is almost um, completely against you know the the very meaning of the word, uh, which presupposes that there is a sexual binary and that there's something not you know not right about you know somebody who ha- has char- certain characteristics that wouldn't fall into. Uh, into that binary, it, you know, the intersex population uh, is, is very, very small, although it does depend on how you uh, determine that. But but most people would have the intersex population at less than 0.1% uh, of the population. Yeah, and that, that's that's so good. And thank you for kind of talking about some of these different, uh, obviously, words that so often a lot of these different terms can sort of just be clumped together in transgenderism. And I think it's good to kind of sparse them out because uh, I think then we'll be able to understand your different answers to the next questions more properly when you use these different terms. So I, I appreciate that. So um, personally speaking, though, uh, Paul, what made you personally dive into this issue? Why do you spend so much time writing and researching? And, you know, I, I've seen online that you've spent lots of hours reading all these different reports and stuff, which would probably cause many people to fall asleep. And, you know, speaking on these issues, things like that. And, you know, what, sorry, what made you dive into this? And then also after that, kind of what, like, kind of made you start this woman means something? Yeah. So maybe I'll pick up the story uh, about four years ago when um, our, uh, our local school district, school district 40 here in, in New Westminster was, uh, was looking for feedback from uh, parents uh, on their new sexual orientation and gender identity policy. I was uh, involved uh, with the parents' uh, advisory council at the elementary school where um, our children have been active. And, and so I, I knew at that point, okay, here I've got uh, my community asking for my feedback. And, uh, and even though I had some idea of where that might go, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I decided to, to do that and give some feedback. Now, you know, from my standpoint, I, I believe, um, you know, my starting point is always 
the word of God. Um, I believe I believe the word of God. Full stop. Um, and yet, at the same time, I think it, it's helpful to have ways to interact with the world where you know where we can um, be on the same you know on, on the same field as far as talking about the same kinds of things. And so, I began to do some research into the peer-reviewed uh, secular peer-reviewed literature and. Uh, and I was really surprised by by what I found. Um, I know one of the first studies that really made my jaw drop, and I continue to point people to it to this day, uh, is a study by Rich Seven Williams in 2007. Um, a you know uh, one of these studies that's just you know world leading, um, longitudinal, huge sample size, uh, very well done, uh, where uh, he found that. Over 80% of same-sex behaved adolescents, so not just attracted, but but even behaved adolescents, and not just not just kissing, but actual sexual behavior, um, what we would call sex, that they became exclusively heterosexual in their sexual behavior after six years as they moved into into uh, young adulthood, and uh, and I mean this just goes completely against most of what we hear in the mass media, which portrays. Um, same sex, um, you know, whether it's orientation or attraction is something that's, that's immutable. And here we have over 80% moving from, um, homosexual behavior into, uh, heterosexual behavior. Um, so, you know, there's other studies like this that, uh, that I was able to uh, take then to, uh, the school board, you know, to our school board chair in a private conversation, then to the, um, the school board meeting and able to present that. Um, you know, they, they listened and, and that was, that was a, you know, it was a really helpful time of, of interaction, um, around these things. They, they did end up, um, you know, not changing what they had decided to bring in, but it was a helpful, um, helpful process. But I knew in the back of my mind, even at that point, there wasn't a lot of discussion about transgender related issues. This was only, like I said, only about four years ago, which shows how quickly, um, gender identity related issues have kind of come onto the scene. And the, and so I, I knew in the back of my mind, however, that there would be a moment where, uh, you know, in our school district, I would have to stand up for my daughter and say, listen, uh, I'm going to fight the idea of a, of a male, uh, having access to the same cha- same change room or bathroom as, uh, as my daughter. That's, that's for me, that's, that, that can't happen. I'm going to defend my, my daughter in that kind of situation. Um, now, you know, it was, I guess, about um, a year and a half ago that uh, it came on the scene that uh, it, nationally, not locally, but nationally, Bill C-16 uh, had passed through the House uh, and was moving to the Senate and was, um, you know, even at that point in time, thought that maybe it would be passed very, very quickly. And I began to engage on that. So Bill C-16 um, has, has now passed. Uh, it's now legislation nationally. Uh, it's a bill that put gender identity and gender expression into the human rights code as well as to into the criminal code uh, as an aggravating circumstance. Um, I, I think that probably it's a good idea to have it under um, under the criminal code for aggrava- aggravating circumstances. But um, the issue is that once you put gender identity and expression into um, and you enshrine that in law, now it overshadows the idea of sex. And it, in fact, erases sex-based rights. So an example of that is simply um, going back to the idea of women's uh, privacy or protections uh, when it comes to places where they're unclothed. 
bathrooms, showers, change rooms, all of a sudden, um, the sex-based right that would be behind bodily privacy uh, for for women, I mean, as for men as well, but in particular for women, now that's that's removed. Uh, same thing with you know women's sports. Now all of a sudden, um, you know males can can come in and, and participate in women's sports. That's not there's that's no longer a sex-based um, right uh, to have you know to have women's exclusively women's sports or female sports. So uh, I began to oppose this with a campaign that we called. Um, a woman means something. Uh, and I began to do you know, some research because I, I wasn't finding the kind of data, the kind of research that I would want to point to um, in, my own, you know, in my own arguments as I was engaging on these things uh, publicly. Um, fast forward just a little bit, but it was probably about a year ago that um, we, were, we had do, done a uh, very, very tasteful um, poster campaign um, that, you know, you'd have to work really hard to say was, you know, was in any way anti-transgender. Um, we did a bunch of posters up that said, uh, Mr. Trudeau, in order to be a feminist, you have to believe that woman means something. And, uh, and, and so, but, you know, the media got, got wind of this, which I mean, is part of what, why we did it. Um, and I began to do some, some media events and, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, name calling that comes into that as far as, uh, you know, even, I mean, I've been called a, a neo-Nazi <laughs> for the, for that kind of campaign. Um, but the, uh, you know, one of the things that came out of this was that, uh, our church was protested, um, by, uh, some members of the transgender community and their allies. Um, I should note that this was, this is something that was never a kind of a church based, um, initiative, uh, but rather my own with, uh, with, with a few other supporting, uh, people. And, um, but, you know, as a church, uh, I had, you know, I told our people, listen, this is whatever happens. Uh, we want to make sure that we welcome people that we're loving, we're hospitable. And, and I, I genuinely, uh, care deeply for LGBT people. Um, and, and in fact, I would say more than just caring for them as, um, you know, fellow humans that are made in the image of God, I would say that God's actually put on my heart a very particular, uh, uh, you know, honoring, valuing uh, love for LGBT people. And and so when uh, it, it ended up being um, in God's providence, a very a snowy kind of early spring day, I think, I have to go back and check the exact date, but um, we put up, uh, put up a canopy, we put up a heat lamp, Krispy Kreme donuts, Starbucks, pop water and we just said this is for you um as it turned out they didn't want to cross the street from where they were protesting to partake of our hospitality most of them which i understand i I, you know that's not a that's not a problem for me i understand that uh you know if you're protesting you don't also want to be seen as partaking and (laughs) that gets a little awkward um but uh but at, at one point i i grabbed a couple of chairs somebody was willing to talk to me um, and, and we went across the street, CBC news was filming the whole way and we sat down and, and, uh, you know, I fielded questions and had discussion, uh, with, uh, with, you know, about 30 people surrounding, uh, me and with CBC news and having a microphone in my face for about 40 minutes straight, <laughs> trying to record things. So, but you know, the best thing just to kind of wrap up a little bit of, uh, of my testimony on this is, is that uh, there are a lot of Christian leaders that said, you know, 
Paul, you and your church just did a, an amazing job showing what it looks like to uh, to be, you know, full of grace and truth, both. Um, but you know, the thing that meant the most to me was was uh, was a gay friend that that emailed me and said, "You guys did a great job. Um, I just applaud you." And, and that meant a, that meant even more to me <laughs> um, as I try to continue to um, have and build connections with the with those that are LGBT. It, you know, this culminated in me uh, going to uh, the Senate and, and speaking to the Senate Legal Committee on Bill C-16. Uh, you can find that testimony on on YouTube. Um, I, I chose to speak mainly on privacy and protections. Um, I, I could have perhaps chosen to speak on, uh, on, on sort of the medical side of things as well, but I kind of hoped that somebody else perhaps who had some, uh, back, you know, formal background in that. I'm, I'm very, I mean, I've read a lot in the literature. Um, however, I don't have a formal background and I was kind of hoping that somebody who did have a formal background in that would be able to bring that perspective. Uh, I focus more on uh, privacy and protections, um, areas in, in which I've just, cause no one else really is doing it. I've kind of by default become, um, a bit of a world leader on this. There just isn't, there just isn't good data you know, to draw from on, on issues of, for instance, whether gender identity policies um, are safe for, uh, for, for, for women, for instance. No, that's great. And it's, it's encouraging. Like I've watched a little bit of the, uh, the clips of you and from CBC and all that kind of stuff. And it's encouraging as a Christian seeing that because it encourages many of us to see this guy and this church um, step out in such a countercultural way and uh, and I, I think there's this innate desire, especially along a lot of young uh, millennial Christians who are just kind of tired of going along with what you know culture is going along with, and even just seeing this type of you know ad- this almost sounds bad, but this like adventure, like you actually had to put yourself out there um, for uh, for uh, for a true and grounded reason, this biblical solid reason, and uh, you resonate with that. So I I do I thank you for that for kind of being a pioneer and a model for many people. Uh, in regards to that. Now, we have a, we have a few minutes left, Paul, so I kind of wanted to take two questions, sort of wrap them into one, and it's, it's simply this. When we consider, and this is a huge question, by the way, when we consider the Bible and we consider the gospel, um, how has what God has laid out in special revelations, six books of the Bible, and, and, the, and the gospel, the story of redemption with Jesus Christ, how has that helped shape your thinking uh, around transgenderism and this, the LGBT community? Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think that really, when we're faced with challenges in culture, I think that that there's a there's a positive effect that it has on our theology that sharpens it and and helps to uncover areas perhaps where we haven't thought terribly deeply. Um, let me mention a couple of things. Uh, you know, I think that this, um, the, you know, the the LGBT movement more broadly, but but in, maybe perhaps in particular, uh, the transgender. Um, movement or agenda, whatever you want to call that, however you want to refer to that, um, is really about issues of identity. Uh, who am I? You know, and, and as Christians, it reinforces the fact that our, our history is to, our history, our identity, our pedigree, all is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and, and not only not only in the sense of, of a New Testament gospel, but when we enter into Christ, we see, too, that we have this, uh, this you know, there's almost this past that, that, that is, you know, in the Old Testament where, where we find our identity 
in him and in the story of, of, of redemption, including the fall, but, but, you know, the redemption of, of, of Israel and, um, and, and it all knits together to the place that in the future, you know, the Lord says in, in Revelation, I'm going to write my new name on you. Um, you know, I just think of, I look forward to getting that, that tattoo one day, you know, if I could put it that way, where, um, you know, what we are is not yet made known. Um, but, but our identity is going to be fully revealed and right now to find our identity in who God has created us. Now, the second part of that has to do with in particular, a sex based, or you could say a gender based identity that, um, we know that there are very clear analogs, uh, in the scripture. Uh, they're not mere metaphors, um, between, uh, you know, the relationships that we have between male and female here on the earth or husband and, and wife, um, and, uh, and the relationship that, for instance, God has with Christ, his son, or that, uh, Christ has with his bride, the church. Uh, it's not, um, surprising. It shouldn't be surprising to us that a, a triune God who is, um, both equal in his, in his essence, but also diverse in his three persons should create uh, the pinnacle of creation, mankind, as both male and female, in whom there is a diversity, uh, basic diversity, and a basic equality. Uh, and so we should expect then that, uh, that as we lean into um, an understanding of who God has created us as uh, sexed or gendered individuals, that in fact we will discover more about who we are um, in relationship to God. Uh, and in fact, you know, just to go a little bit further with that, um, you know, I find myself as I interact on these issues of gender and sex and as and in my relationship with my own wife, it helps me understand, in fact, my relationship in almost this, this bride or female role to Christ that, um, you know, my, my husband, it helps me to appreciate that relationship and the gospel is unfolded in, in all of its brilliance and depth in a greater way than if we were not thinking deeply about these issues of sex and gender. So um, for me, this is really all about the gospel. And I think that one of the things the church really needs to do is unpack and recover um, some, some deep theology about sex and gender rooted in, uh, in, in God and, and in Christ. Yeah, that that's so good. Thank you so much, Paul. I uh, I enjoyed that, and the reason I enjoyed it is because it's important. This is a really important conversation that uh, we need to be having in our day. So if you're listening and uh, you are tempted to sort of leave this, you, you know, you, you know that this is an important conversation, sexuality, different things like that, but you want to leave it on the back burner because you don't want to. Uh, you know, break relationships and all these different things, I encourage you uh, to pray and to believe what the Bible says about uh, gender and to live that out. Now, if you're interested in anything else, if you're interested about Paul and the work that he does, you can check out womanmeanssomething.com. I'll put the uh, link to that on the episode podcast page, but there's just a ton of information on that site. But anyways, thank you and bless you. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Isaac. Appreciate it. God bless you. That was researcher and pastor Paul Dirks. And you can follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Dirks, just all one word. Now, if you're interested in donating to In Doubt as a ministry, that would be awesome. It's really easy. Just click the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. 
You can connect with us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love that. If you have a suggestion or a story, anything like that, we'd love to hear from you. You can also email us at hello at indoubt.ca. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we talk again with Paul Dirks as he gets into some of the unbiased facts of the multiple reports that he's read on transgenderism. You won't want to miss it. See you then. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.